Hi, welcome to New Creation Family Church. I hope you enjoy this week's sermon. I thought you were going to say, good morning, sir. <laughs> uh, yeah, this morning when I, I looked at my, my wardrobe and uh, I wanted to get something that I could wear and uh, I saw um, some torn jeans in there, and um, I looked at them and I thought of this other guy I met in Windsor, he's, he's a pastor from the township, and he said to me, uh, the demoniac of Gadara was wearing torn jeans, um, he was tearing his clothes, so I thought, I'm not wearing these jeans this morning. <laughs> because uh, I might offend someone. Um, we, we, we have been talking about the defining moments, and we have seen testimony after testimony, and uh, we have really seen the greatness of God in all the testimonies that, we, that we've seen and that we've listened to. And there could be more, and which I know there is more, uh, because I've heard a lot of people come to me and telling me the great, about the greatness of God in their lives. And so with the defining moments that we've been talking about, uh, this morning I want to talk about uh, the ultimate defining moment, which obviously we have many other moments within the ultimate defining moment, which I believe uh, on Wednesday, Paul will come and talk about the ultimate defining moment that is the birth of Christ that changed the course of history. We have AD and we have BC, and that is because Christ was born. And so this morning, I want to share with you um, from Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 to 46. And I've entitled my sermon, The King of Sorrows. Jesus, the King of Sorrows. I remember in 1978, I was, I was there yet, but I was still very young. I'm not going to give you my age this time. I've given many times before. So if you were not there, you'll ask those who were there before. Uh, they can tell you how, much, how old I am. But in 1978, my dad, as a musician, as a principal flutist in the Soweto Symphony Orchestra, he was playing a, his flute, and he was asked to play a, a piece by Handel, and that piece is Messiah. And that was the time when he was born again. That's the time when he met Christ. He couldn't play. It makes me emotional because of 
the way he keeps narrating the story, every time he tells me the story, he was so emotional and he would even cry himself when he was telling what happened at that time when he was playing that piece. He, he wanted to play, but tears were just rolling down his face. And he went. He didn't understand why he was crying because that song is Isaiah 53. Let's, let's read Isaiah 53. Old Testament, uh, page 645 or 386. This is what it says. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And his, by his stripes we are held. I will end there. I said this morning I want to talk about Jesus who is both the ultimate defining moment and has, the, uh, has gone through one of the defining moments. And this defining moment is in the garden. So I want to go take a journey with you, fly with you to Israel, get into the garden, and speak about what was happening there. The other day I was here, I spoke about John chapter 17, and that is the prayer of Jesus Christ, and that is the Lord's prayer. The, actually, we normally talk about the Lord's prayer when Jesus you know, said, our Father who art in heaven, Matthew 6. But the Lord's prayer is actually in John chapter 17, where he himself prayed. Now, John speaks about him praying in the garden. But today, I don't want to talk about John that much, but the focus will be on him in the garden during that time, what was happening in him, what he was experiencing at that time. I hope we will learn. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your love and to, to the sacrifice of Jesus this morning. That Lord, there was a provision made for our sins, for our forgiveness, for our reconciliation. And Heavenly Father, I pray for that family that is experiencing sorrow this morning and suffering this morning and separation this morning. Lord, many families themselves are in deep difficulty. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that through this passage, we will learn that through this passage, we will be convicted, will be convicted, that through this passage, we will understand what you went through, that there is 
nothing equated. There is nothing that can be equated to what you went through so that we can be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, the man of sorrows. Well, we know that the Bible is truthful. We've seen it when we read in the book of Isaiah. Now, when we read uh, in verse 36, we see Jesus finding time to pray. And this is what the Bible says. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. First thing that we learn here, or first thing that we see here, in Jesus as the king of sorrows, he takes his disciples. Maybe he was looking for support. Maybe he was looking for, for company. And definitely I believe that he was looking for some company. Because uh, if we remember clearly, this was after Jesus and the disciples had the Passover. They had eaten the Lord's Supper. And after eating the Lord's Supper, they came down from Jerusalem. They exited the city. So when they went out of the city, they went down the slope. They went down and passed the Kidron. They went down to, to the base of Noel. They passed the brook. They went into the west side of the slope where there was a garden. And we know that it was a garden because John tells us in, in John chapter 8, verse 1, he tells us that he was in the garden. This was a garden. And so he goes into this garden with his disciples, 11 of them. We know that there were 11 because one of them was missing and he was busy with the business of, you know, betraying him. He was negotiating and he had already negotiated and, you know, so he was busy with the business of going to betray Jesus. And so we see Jesus going into the garden with the 11, leaving the eight at the gate, inside the garden, and he goes in deeper into the garden with the three. Yes, I have said that maybe he was looking for company. And I believe he genuinely needed some company. He needed, because he was always with the disciples and he needed them to be with him. But more than anything that we can learn from this that he is doing is not just for him to get company, but is for him to show a model is for him to teach us something. 
Because if he had not gone into the garden with his disciples, do you think this could have been documented? Who would have documented what was happening here? And so the Bible tells us that everything in the scripture is there. Everything that is recorded in the scripture is there for us so that we can learn, so that we can be able to live a quiet and a peaceable life. Now, Jesus is actually showing us through the disciples that this is how he is going to be able to deal with the challenges of life. We'll talk about that at a later stage. It says he went into a place called Gethsemane. The name Gethsemane translates pressing of olives or pressing of oil. And we know and we understand that when we read about oil in the Bible, oil represents the Holy Spirit. It represents the anointing. And so he goes in there into the garden. It's amazing and it's interesting that he goes into the garden that is translated the crushing of olives and he himself is going to be crushed at some point. And we, we see one of the things that we also learn is the solitude. He leaves the three and he goes to solitude. He goes further. The Bible says in, we're reading from new, the, King, the, the NIV now, but in the New King James Version, it says he went further. It doesn't use the same English that we normally use sometimes to say further. He went further. But he went further. He went a stone throw away from them. And when he went a stone throw away from them, that's when he started to pray. It, the Bible does tell us that he takes three people. He takes Peter, and he takes two sons of Zebedee. And we know, most of us can actually name them. He takes James and John. He says he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He was deeply depressed. 
And now, we've spoken about the disciples. We've spoken about him taking them and going in there with them. And it says that he took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now, we always talk about sorrows. We've listened to many testimonies about sorrows. We've heard about difficulties and challenges that we can think of. And that is why my prayer this morning was to the family, to those who are going through challenges in life, to those who are crushed, to those who are experiencing a Gethsemane in their lives. You must remember that the pressing and the crushing produces oil. The crushing of olives. So if you are sitting there and you are a Christian, you must know and remember that the crushing of your soul produces oil. The Bible says he was deeply depressed. He says, stay here with me. and watch. But we remember that Jesus, when he says watch, he's actually saying, in the Greek it says, it's an imperative that is progressive. So he's not saying just watch, but he says keep watching. So keep on watching. And I, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where they really, the disciples were praying. But we believe that they were praying. Now, there are times in our lives where we need to take the sorrows that we are experiencing and sit with God because we know and we understand that we are Christian and we can pray and we can speak to God. There are times when we look at God and we look in our situations, or we look at our situations, and we say we need to thoroughly communicate. We need to thoroughly commune with God. And this is what Jesus did. Simple thing. Went into the garden. And I know we could be saying it's simple thing for him. But remember that he was saying he was crushed with sorrow. Where was this sorrow coming from? Now, it is important for us because this morning, one of the reasons why I'm standing here is to come and encourage you to start seeking the face of God. When you are in a situation, 
to start watching, to be vigilant, to open your eyes and speak to him. We, 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 we normally don't start with prayer. Most of the time, we end with prayer. We see that how sorrowful Jesus was. In other translations, it says that he was going to sweat blood. And we, we take the narrative of Dr. Luke when he says he sweat blood. He had to sweat blood. And so he continues to speak to the disciples. And the Bible tells us that he, he speaks to them. And he goes to them three times as he makes his supplication. And we see Jesus returning to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he says to them three times, he found them sleeping and he says, so guys, you couldn't watch with me just for an hour. So now here's the challenge. Can we watch with him just for an hour? Can we stay with Jesus just for an hour? And remember, he says this three times, and I'm not saying that we... Most of us cannot pray for three hours. And I was challenged when I was reading this scripture over and over again. And one of the challenges was that, how much do I pray and when do I pray? And he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. He says, he found them sleeping and couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We have so many things. We have so many challenges. We, we go through uh, riches and poverty at the same time. There's middle class, there's wealthy, and there's poor. And most of the time, our concern is how we can be better or how we can better make it into those categories. We, we run the red race at all times and we want to be better people. Our spirit, as I'm addressing you as saints, the Bible says our spirit, because we have the spirit of God residing in us. The Bible says the flesh is weak. He says the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. Now, what is this sleep that the disciples are going through? We could think of sleep as dozing off or slumber. 
But in this case, I want to believe that Jesus is talking about sleep as we are not vigilant to speak with him as he is speaking to God. The Bible tells us that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He went away the second time and prayed, my Father, He's teaching us dependence. And this is not just another prayer. It is a prayer of dependence. He says, we, we, we normally hear and we normally read some verses in Scripture that tells us about Jesus Christ speaking to the disciples as well in Matthew 6, saying, our Father who art in heaven, and, you know, but it is only here where we find Jesus saying, my father. So he is actually also telling us about intimacy here. How intimate are we with God? He then continues to say, my father, if this cup be taken away from me, lest I drink it, but not my will, but your will be done. Let's, let's Talk about the cup. Let's talk about the cup. The cup of misery. The cup of wrath. We all have different types of cups. We all have different types of difficulties. We face different situations. I'm talking to someone that has lost their loved ones. You've lost your dad, you've lost your mom. You've lost your child. Maybe not lost them as they've passed on, but you've lost your child to drugs. You are about to lose your cousin. You are about to lose your dad. Someone in your family has got cancer. They are about to die. And that is the cup of misery that you might be going through. Or that might be the Gethsemane that you are going through. You are crushed. There is something about your life that you are going through that most people might not even know about them. But listen to Jesus. He says, but Lord, not my will. Let your will be done, lest I drink. Let me drink. If I do not drink this cup, and if I don't drink this cup, it means salvation is not going to come. So he says, I will drink this cup because of your will. 
And so how many times in situations where we face situations and we go through situations where we, we don't say, let your will be done. How many times do we agree or do we say, let the will of God be done in our lives? We go through situations, we go through, you know, so many things. But it is not only about the situations. It's not just about the crushing. Jesus knew he was going to die. Even the devil himself knew that Jesus was going to die. But he did not want Jesus to die. We most of the time say Satan wanted to kill Jesus and he didn't know that when after killing Jesus, he was not going to win. He knew. He didn't want him to die. And that's why Jesus is talking to Peter and saying, get thee away from me, Satan. Because the devil knew that Jesus was going to die and if he dies. So he was distracting Jesus from death, was trying to derail him from dying. Now, the cup. It says, if this cup can be taken away unless I drink it, my father, this cup, must be taken away or can be taken away. If, if it can't be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Now, in this cup, he sees, Jesus sees, doesn't only see the sins of the world. He, 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 sees, he sees the sin from the sin of Adam. He sees the sin from the sin of Cain and Abel. He sees the sin from my sin and your sin. And he says, this cup is full of these sins. I'm of the view that he is not afraid to die for these sins. But what Jesus sees in this cup is not only sin, but he sees the wrath. He sees the perfect wrath of God. He sees the wrath of God. I'm African, so it's fine. Yeah. Wrath, 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 wrath. <laughs> so, yeah. So, he, that's what he sees in the cup. And so, we, we see, he says, when he continues, Jesus says, um, watch. We've said, when he speaks about watch, he says, keep watching. Three times. Now, we speak about repetition. Three times. He says the same thing. Three times. Watch. Keep watching. Keep praying. Stay with me. Don't sleep. 
We hear James speaking about repetition. Avoid repetition. We normally talk, talk to people and tell them that when we pray, they need to, or when they pray, they need to avoid repetition. But James is not talking about repetition only, but he says avoid vain repetition. So we see Jesus repeating. So it is important that we are learning to repeat. We are learning to talk. Many a times we can say the same thing over and over again as long as it makes sense and it, as long as it will bring a breakthrough in our lives. Now, the king finds strength. Now, he says, look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. How was he strengthened? He was strengthened because of his humility. One, he was humble. He made supplication. He spoke to God and humbled himself and he said, Father, let not my will, but let your will be done. And so, in Luke chapter 23, I mean, sorry, 22, verse 43, we, we see, let's, let's read Luke 22, Verse 43. It says, Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. This has been documented so that we can learn something. This was documented by the disciples so that we can understand that we can also be strengthened. And the only time and the only way that we can be strengthened is when we are dependent on the prayer of the saints or on the prayer of others. We can be strengthened through the Holy Spirit. There are meetings in hell to disturb you and to distract you from praying. It says, the Bible says, they were sleeping. And it says, watch. They were sleeping. When is the time that is vulnerable? When is the vulnerable time in your life that you find yourself not being able to speak to God? When you are distressed, when you are sleeping, the Bible tells us that 
when they were sleeping, the enemy came and he saw tears amongst them. So it is important for us that we realize that we can find strength only in God, number one. Number two, we have an uplifting of the prayers of the saints. And we ourselves have a task to be praying for the saints. Now, why does the enemy always try to distract you or disturb your marriage, dis disturb you at school, disturb you in many other situations, especially when you are doing things for God? Why does the enemy distract your prayer life? Because he knows that if you are distracted, if you cannot pray, someone says the, one of the worst thing or the biggest challenge for the enemy that he is fearful of is even the weakest saint or the weakest Christian that kneels and prays. The enemy is afraid of that. There's a story of a certain woman who was traveling and flying, and he had one pilot, and it was a private jet that she was flying in. And uh, she kept on, in actual fact, the plane was about to crash. So what she did was she took that radio because the, the, the controller had lost control or the pilot had lost control. And so he took the radio and he tried to get, to get help from the rescue. But he kept on switching between the channels and he just kept on switching and switching and they couldn't hear him because he kept on switching and switching. And so the point is, stop switching. Stop switching between the channels. Just switch on one channel and start praying. We, 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 we are standing here in these holy grounds because of the prayers of the saints. The reason why we are here this morning is because there's people who have prayed for us to be here. If we can assume that lifestyle of prayer, if we can assume that type of lifestyle, that model that Jesus is giving us, we can be standing here and seeing other people that need to be coming here being here. The, the last thing that I want to end with is an acronym of prayer. 
plead, plead the name of Jesus in everything that you do as you pray. And that is John 14. Regard the word of Jesus. Hebrews 10, 19. Abide in the person of Jesus. Yield to the will of God. Expect the fulfillment of God's promise in Christ. Remember that sometimes there are conditions attached to the promise. P-R-A-Y-E-R. I want to challenge you this morning and ask you this question. You don't have to answer me. It's a rhetoric question. How many times do you pray? When do you pray? Do you watch and pray? When was the last time you prayed? What situations are you facing? Is it worse than the situation that Jesus Christ was facing? Are you facing the worst? If you are facing the worst situation, then you owe. That's when you actually ought to pray even more. I, I have yet to sin in the course of history anyone that can tell me that they've gone through the worst situation than Jesus Christ himself has ever gone through. He died. And before he died, in the garden, when he was looking into that cup, he saw all the miseries. He saw all the challenges. He saw all the troubles. He saw all the sicknesses. He saw all the diseases. He saw all the financial situations that you are going through. He saw all those things. And he had to carry all those things and drink that cup, which did not have only those things. And we do not have to face the wrath of God today because he had drank that cup. He took our sins and he bore our iniquities. If you think you're going through sorrow, if you think you've gone through the worst sorrow in life, today I am talking about the man of sorrows. And I'm talking about Jesus Christ, the man of all sorrows. He's gone through the West. And I'm not saying people are not going through situations yet. You are going through situations. But think about Jesus Christ. If he was able to go through all that he went through and he succeeded and he went through all that he went through for you and for me because when he looked into that cup, he saw my sin and he saw your sin. He saw your challenge, he saw your suffering, and he saw my suffering. The last challenge I'm going to make as the worship team comes to the front and sings softly that song that says the last one that you were singing. and sing softly that song. 
I want to challenge you this morning. I know sometimes we, we want music to pray. I want to challenge you this morning. I know in consideration of the fact that there are people who cannot kneel. But I want to take this time and ask that as the worship team is playing there, that you pray for all your sorrows this morning. You pray for all the challenges that you are going through this morning. It might be not exactly directed to you, but indirectly, maybe it's your neighbor, maybe it's your cousin, maybe it's your friend at work. Maybe it's you, maybe it's your daughter, maybe it's your son. I want you to take a posture because the Hebrew mentality or the Jewish way of praying is standing up, raising hands. But in this case, we see Jesus Christ. We see him. The Bible says he take a posture and he kneels before the Father, face down, and he prays. I'm going to challenge you this morning and I'm going to ask you to kneel before the Father and pray for your own cup and pray for your own crushing, for your own Gethsemane, for the challenges that you face. Let us pray. Speak to God. Forget about the person next to you. Religion will not save your life. The person next to you will not be able to save your life. Only God can save your life. You know that you know that you know that there is a situation in your life. Commune with him. Speak to him. Take this privilege. I hope you enjoyed this recording. For more information about New Creation, please visit our website at www.newcreation.co.za. Stay blessed.